pretty significant fear of flying. And so she traveled a lot with her job. She was traveling at least once a month. This was obviously pre-COVID, but she was uh, uh, traveling pretty often, found herself on an airplane, and she had difficulties flying, but it was the job she loved, and she kept doing it and did whatever she could. But she found that it was comforting for her to take her Bible with her and to read her Bible while she was on the flight. Um, she also found, too, that, that, that uh, people didn't bother you so much when you open up your Bible. All of a sudden, they kind of leave you alone a little bit. Except for one day when she got on the, on the plane and this gentleman looks at her and she's sitting there and she's just minding her business. She's, she's got her elbow is on the one side and he, she's giving the other one. Y'all know how that game played, right? She's reading and she's just there and finally the guy just kind of scoffs a little bit. <laughs> it's like, you're not actually reading that stuff, are you? And she's like, yes, sir, I, I read this every day. She says, well, you don't actually believe everything in that book is true, do you? She says, well, yeah, actually I, I do well, what's this business about this guy being swallowed up by this whale? You don't actually think that happened, and if it did, how did he survive? And she said, well, she says, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And he says, well, what if he's not in heaven? She says, then you can ask him. (laughs) Tough story, isn't it? Tough story because on some levels you're like, man, that's, that's, we can't say things like that anymore. We can't, we can't tell people that if they don't believe this way, that, 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 that there's a, a real possibility of an eternity without God, which we call hell. We can't say those types of things. It's offensive. And far be it for anyone to stand up for their own values anymore at all, particularly if those values happen to be regarding the Scripture, God's holy word, being absolutely true all the time. And whether you believe it or not, I do, and let me live that way. Because sitting there reading my Bible, minding my business, how did that impact you? I mean, obviously God's word is offensive, and it is, and it says it is multiple times throughout the scripture. God's word is also living, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating every single aspect of our life. It's direction for our life. In fact, if you're reading along with us in Believe, you should be in chapter 13 this week. In chapter 13's key idea, it says, I study the Bible to know God and his truth and to find direction in my life. Now, I don't know about you men, and I know it's Father's Day, and I know often we get this very false accusation that men don't stop and ask directions. Being a man, I know that's not true. truth of the matter is we had a map all along we just chose not to use it not uncommon this doesn't just apply to the to the men in the room it applies to the women as well we study God's word to know him to know his story to know what he says about us and to find direction in my life oh pastor I just don't know what's going on in my life my relationships are bad my kids don't respect me my job stinks my wife just doesn't like me her cooking's still bad it always has been all these things are just going wrong in my life when's the last time you read your bible why would i read my bible i just need somebody to tell me the truth would you like someone who reads the bible to tell you the truth because if i tell you what's in here you either have to accept it as gospel truth or you need to go home and fact check it and apply it to your life ah we just can't have all that the bible is this divisive beautiful some have called it a love letter from god it's hard for me to say that sometimes because it's some scary stuff in there that i would never want to read in a love letter 
And David took out a sword that was bigger than him, and he hacked off Goliath's head. Wow, God, that's loving. When you come to church on Sunday morning, do you expect to hear God? N not John. Do you expect to hear God? To speak to your heart, to your mind, to minister to your soul? Do you have an expectation that when you walk into a place whose foundations are built on a one singular, almighty, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God who sent his one and only son to die on a cross, to conquer death, to rise up, do you come to a place where those weirdos who believe that gather every Sunday morning for an hour or so and have the answers to everything that life has ever imagined to throw at us? Do you expect to hear God? That's, that's not rhetorical. That's a simple question. Because the scary thing is, is that less than one in four people even think about God's word outside of this one hour on Sunday morning. And those are churched people. That's not just everybody else. And as you guys know, I love my city of Katy, but there are 300,000 unchurched people in the greater Katy area every single Sunday morning who need to know that God loves them, that he died for them, and that their way of life is contrary to his word, and he's got a better way. And they don't line up out there to get in the door on Sunday morning. Heck, we can barely get people set up some days. Or to work in the nursery. And there's a lost and dying and starving world out there who, by the way, has access to this better than any other time in history. And they're confused and they're scared. And when we speak the truth of God's word into their lives, not against their lives, don't misunderstand me, into their lives. And we do so by how we live our lives and how we demonstrate our love for God and how we know him through his word. It's offensive, it's annoying, it's agitating, it's judgmental. It's exactly what God's word's supposed to do. The modern day preacher, myself included and especially, probably does more injustice to God's word every single Sunday morning than what we should. When Christ rolled into town, his hometown by which he, it was time for his family to read the scriptures. The scriptures were so holy and so elevated. You ever hear the scribes in the Bible when you're reading through there? You hear somebody talk about the scribes and the Pharisees? The scribes were like the grammar hammers of the day, right? Like these people were just no nonsense. And when Christ gets up and they open up the scroll and it's his turn for his family to read, he reads from Zechariah and there's a scribe with a stick that's pointing out every word as he reads it to make sure he doesn't get it wrong. To make sure he doesn't get it wrong, the word of God was so holy and so elevated that somebody had to, had to do karaoke for Jesus to read it so that he'd get it right. And he, being the author and perfecter of this word, only said but a few words after that. Today the scripture is fulfilled before your very eyes. Thus endeth the lesson. I get up here, pastors get up here, we read a little bit of scripture, and then we ramble on for 35 or 40 minutes. Even a rabbi during the day maybe would go five minutes tops because the holy word of God was sufficient and enough. But we live in such a time of biblical illiteracy in the body of Christ and particularly outside the body of Christ that, yeah, we've got to explain some stuff. And, yes, we have to bring in some of the past culture to help us understand that. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But the problem is that when we get all this education without application, then this word is nothing more than a novel written weirdly. Doesn't seem to flow or make sense. And nine times out of ten, most people think about the Bible in terms of negative because they don't want to believe what may be in here. And they don't want to listen to those requirements. And friends, let me tell you something about the church. The most basic requirement of a church and a believer, the most basic requirement, this is not a suggestion or a thought or a hope, the most basic requirement for any healthy church is an unyielding commitment to hear, learn, study, and obey the Word of God. To hear, learn, and study, and obey the Word of God. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, go and teach them to obey all the things Teach them to obey the truth. God, my memory's just not that good. Somebody wrote it down for you. You know what helps your memory? Familiarity. Proximity. I was in customer service for a long time. Any of you guys know that? I can tell you about five good customer stories. I can tell you about a thousand bad customer stories. We seem to remember those things that make an impact on our lives, right? Some of the names I've been called, the stuff that's been thrown at me, the guns that have been flashed on me. I'll never forget that day in Sugarland when a guy walks out of my store at Best Buy and I say, excuse me, sir, can I validate that receipt? And he pulls back and shows me a gun. Hey, looks like it's yours. I remember that because it impacted my life. What about those times in your life where you need to go to the Scripture And God is saying, I remember that I left this for you. I remember that you were going to need this. I remember that the most basic requirement to our faith system, to our answer to the questions of why am I here, where did I come from, does it all matter, what happens when I die, were left for me in God's holy word. And the most basic requirement for me is to hear, see, study, read, and obey this word. And I say requirement with reverence. I say requirement with joy. Because God has said, I'm not hiding myself from you because when you seek me with all of your heart, you will indeed find me. God, I just can't hear your voice. Get someplace quiet. Open up my word and let me talk to you. A reverence for God's word is missing today in our hearts. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 17. It's about halfway through the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. This is after Christ had died and spent 40 days on earth, ascended back to the Father. He has sent the apostles out. The apostles are going around and they're teaching. They started with the Jews and now they're moving to the Greeks and they're moving a little further out because the the word became flesh and dwelt amongst them. He being Jesus... And he gave them, his apostles, this this grand charge to go and tell the world about this life-changing reality that Christ died for their sins and to teach them to obey all of his commandments. And his commandments were there for them. And so Paul writes to us and tells us about what's going on. He had been in Thessalonica, which if you have your Bible, you know 1 and 2 Thessalonians was a letter that was written later. And these Thessalonicans, they weren't real hospitable to Paul at first. It took a little bit of extra. In fact, he made them so mad. Now, now, I know none of you would ever do this after church, but the pastor made the Thessalonican church so mad that when he went to the next town to preach, they sent people from that church to go talk bad about him. In fact, 
They even beat him with rods, threw him in jail, stoned him once. I wish I knew what that message was. I'd like to test that theory. And so Paul finds himself in Acts chapter 17 in Berea, and he says in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, just two simple verses, he says this, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. That was the first place the apostles went as soon as they came into town. They went into a place, catch this, this is really kind of cool. They went into a place where they thought the people who were there worshiping God had common ground with them. Isn't that interesting? Let's don't go making waves and disrupting everybody yet. Let's go to people who have heard God's word, who have been told to anticipate the Messiah to come, who should know the Old Testament and the prophets and Elijah and Elisha and Moses and all this. Let's go there first and see if we can't find some support and get a good read on the spiritual health of the community. Let's go talk to them first because, after all, that ground should be the most fertile. It should be the softest. It should be ready to receive God's word and watch God grow that up and see the church age really become to blossom because the church was a gift to the world. And so he went there first to the synagogues. Now, look at verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. They were just better people. No, it's a little bit different than that. I'll get that in a minute. They were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. This is a fascinating two verses of the Bible right here. I mean, fascinating. Three verses, 10, 11, and 12. Fascinating. Because in those three verses, we see what a Christian's response ought to be to the Scripture and what someone who is looking for the answers of life ought to to do when the truth is revealed to them. And we see the best possible scenario of what happens whenever this happens. And so what we see are these three things. When the Bereans uh, showed us in this passage of scriptures what happens when you receive the word with eagerness, research the word with zeal, and respond to God's word with confidence that God will show himself to you and give you direction in your life. In, In these verses, we see those three things there. Those three things, it said that that when they heard the word, they received it with eagerness. And that eagerness was a hunger. That eagerness was an excitement. That eagerness was the gift of the Holy Spirit that was poured out in Acts chapter 2 called Pentecost. And it was poured out, and that spirit began to dwell with those who believed in God forever and began to speak to the hearts of those who were seeking life's hardest answers. Because see, the problem was the Jews had all this knowledge, they had all this information, they had all these rules, but they still had not quite made that connection yet. They had all of this availability for the truth of God's word, but they hadn't quite made that connection yet because they were only trying to put it in in their own context, not looking at God so loving the entire world that he gave his one and only son. They thought God just loved the world, meaning just the Jewish people. But Jesus said, no, I came for everybody, for all sins to be covered. And so when the Bereans received that with eagerness, they heard it, and they were pierced to their very hearts, and they began to get excited about these teachings more and more every day, going, man, I, wow. And, and listen, Paul didn't do anything just so crazy. He wasn't bringing new truth. He was pulling things out of the Old Testament and saying, when, when Moses said this or when Joshua said this, this is what Jesus did to fulfill that. And it was light bulbs going off. And they were going, man. No kidding. 
our dads totally missed this. Our great-granddads totally missed this. We get it. Paul, have you told anybody else about this? This is good stuff. Man, you can't keep this to yourself. You ever just get really good news and not share it with everybody? Almost everybody that Jesus healed in the New Testament had that problem. He would heal them and say, now, go, don't go tell anybody. And they'd run out and tell everybody. Everybody. And here they are, receiving God's word with eagerness. They hungered and thirsted for it. His word was sweeter than honey to the taste. And they lapped it up. They didn't have Bibles like you do. They don't have phones and apps like we do today. They didn't have a stack full of Bibles that never get read in your house. They had the scrolls that were kept in the synagogue, and only certain people could open them. And they had to have the karaoke guy put their little finger on it, every word that was read. And they lapped it up. And their memories were so good because they would listen to just that small little portion and not all the fancy things that the pastor would say and the alliteration and all that other stuff. And they would say, that was truly God's word. Now, how do I apply that to my life so I can remember it and do everything that I was commanded to do so? They received it with eagerness. And then they researched it with zeal. Now, this is an interesting day and age where the fact checkers come out, right? Now, don't raise your hands. And, and do your best not to look down in shame. That's not my, my goal, but I, I know who you are. Tell me if you've ever fact-checked something I've said on Sunday morning before you got out of that chair. You should. You should. I am a convincing speaker. I could say things with a lot of gusto and energy and belief and all that fun stuff. And if it sounded true... You may just take my word for it, because apparently I've got a different set of living standards than the rest of the world, which I do as a pastor. I have a greater responsibility, but i got to live the same way. But I've seen many of people in many of genres, not just in a church, say something with such conviction and such gusto that people believed it was true. And if you don't think that's true, i got an Amway meeting this afternoon. Let's sit and talk. Multi-level marketing, I think, is what they call it these days. These guys received the word with, with eagerness, and they researched the word with zeal, and it says that every day they checked to see if Paul was right. And you know why they did that? Because there was probably something about Paul that was a little annoying to them. He at least got under their skin a little bit, or maybe, just maybe, he ignited their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. And when he ignited their minds, they said, man, we got to think about this because I'm feeling like I can't just take this in educationally without applicationally and so if he's right i gotta do something different about how i live my life if what paul just said is true that means that i've got to start doing something more or different than what i was before i learned this truth from paul man ignorance was bliss i was excited when i was dumb thanks paul appreciate you enlightening all of us right I've never stepped on anybody's toes in here before. I know that. I've never done it with a mean heart. I can promise you that. But i got to tell you something. Nothing excites a pastor more than anything of seeing when God's word truly ignites somebody's mind. Not John's word. Not even, when God's word ignites their mind and it puts their feet to action and they begin doing things for God's glory that you would never think or imagine. Even they might not believe. But God said it was true. We were taught how to do it. And we went out and we changed the world. And that's what 12 guys did when they trusted what Jesus said. His word was truth. And here's these Bereans hearing this, connecting the dots. 
finally they responded to the word with confidence because in that last verse, in verse 12, it says there that many of the Greek men and women responded to the gospel and believed. And believed. I don't know if, I don't know how Jonah survived in that fish, but I know the Bible says that he did. And I'm good with that. I'm good not having to have those answers. Because I know the God who made that happen is bigger than my ability to even comprehend all that. That doesn't make me stupid. That doesn't make me foolish. That doesn't make me weirdo. It just makes me someone who believes that God knows better for my life than I do. And the more and the faster I come to that reality, the better my life now is going to be. And the promise of eternity is for me. And the kingdom is going to be great and rich. And God's going to put me in charge of the things that he's shown me to be responsible for because I trusted in his word now. Doubting Thomas, we know in John chapter 20 and 21, when we read Jesus' account when he gets to, to Thomas, and Thomas is having this great problem of saying, I will not believe in you. I will set my own standards for how you're right or wrong or real or not, Jesus, until I stick my fingers through your hands and in your side and your feet. I will not believe in that. And so Thomas had set this standard for his own belief when Jesus said I'm right here in front of you I want you to stop doubting because your doubts aren't leading to better questions and leading to a better understanding of me your doubts are leading away from me friends it's okay to doubt it is all right to wonder it's okay to say I'm not so sure it's not okay not to go back and research and respond to the word with confidence and that was Thomas's problem and Jesus said to him very clearly stop doubting and believe Stop doubting and believe. You believe in my Father, believe in me also, Christ said. Is there anything that Jesus would steer us the wrong way? And friends, this is where we really get into some muddy places here. John 7, 17, it's not on the board for you, but it says this. Jesus says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. I pray there are days that I walk away from here and you shake your head going, hmm. See, for real? I got to tell you, one of the most interesting things that have ever happened to me on Sunday morning is one of y'all walk up and say, Pastor, I really needed to hear that this morning. And I walk away going, I have no idea what I just said. I'm going to trust that's the Holy Spirit, not me. As far as I'm concerned, that was the worst sermon I ever preached. But God was doing something different. And I got to tell you something. I'm not the world's greatest and most eloquent preacher. I will never be, and I'm okay with that. But I'll tell you, when I'm right on this word, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And this word does get in the way. But you know what? When we read God's word to know him, to understand him, and to get direction for our life, when, when, when reading the Bible is not a chore or a task or a punishment, but instead it is opening up, in some ways it is a little bit of the diary of the past. It's this wonderful historical account of, of, of God's goodness and how God related to all of humanity and how God relates to me and how we get to relate to God and how God wants to relate to me. And when I have questions and I have doubts, it's okay if I will explore those doubts with zeal and with eagerness and I will see if they're right. And at the end of the day, what I know is what the book says because it was written down by inspired godly people and I put it to practice in my life. And what I see is this, and this is a crazy thing. If I will just but trust God and do what he tells me to do, whatever the outcome is, it's on him. It's not on me. If I will just do what God wants me to do, 
Whatever the outcome is, is on him because I've followed his instructions. He's told me the truth. He has not led me down unrighteous paths. He leads me beside still waters. He quiets my soul. He ignites within me passions. He gives me words and wisdom that no one can refute. He whispers in my ear to tell me to shut up when I need to shut up. He gives me strength and energy, confidence to stand up when I need to stand up, like he did David. He gives pause to not take action that our flesh cries out for vengeance. The more I know God's word, the more I'm like him, the more direction I have in my life, and the less mysterious the scripture becomes. We have mystified the scripture in such a way that we think we have to have seminary-educated people stand up on Sunday morning and dictate it down to us. And friends, i got to tell you something. On Sunday mornings, I feed with a baby spoon, but every other day throughout the week, you got to be eating with a ladle, drinking it up. That way, when something's said that's not here, your spidey senses ought to get up under your skin a little bit and go, hmm, is he a heretic or did he just miss one because he's human? I'm hoping it's the latter if it happens. What are your expectations when you come to church on Sunday morning? Do you expect to hear God's word? I got one better for you. What are your expectations when you wake up tomorrow morning on a Monday? Open up God's word or your reading plan. Now, you do know it's almost July, right? Reading plans are 12 months. You should still be in one. John, all that sounds great. It's passionate. You seem really excited. Obviously, you need to love the Bible because it goes along with your job. Makes sense, right? I don't see too many Coca-Cola employees that don't drink Coke. This is my Kool-Aid. I drink it pretty regularly. But John, how's the Bible, how re- how's reading the Bible going to change my life? Let me just, just, I want you to ponder that for just a second. How is reading the Bible going to change your life? Well, if you like to argue, then you can always have ammunition to know when the pastor gets it wrong. There you go. If you like being right a lot, you could just tell people, well, I've read the Bible, have you? Most of the time they're going to say no. You know, kind of self-serving, but it's a possibility. What would happen? If you took your Bible every place your phone went for a week, just for a week, if you sat down at your office and instead of doing this right here, you did a little different text messaging. What if you went to lunch and instead of setting your phone on the table, you set your Bible on the table? What if when you got in the car, instead of putting your phone up in your little holder or wherever it may be, Maybe you push the Bible app and it reads to you. What would happen in your life if for one week you made a difference in your biblical intake? If instead of watching the news or Facebook or you twit face or whatever it is you kids are on these days, you instead went to the Bible app. You read scripture, you listened to scripture. How different do you think your life would be? Now, now here's a challenge for you because you're going to have to come to terms with this next question. Do you even have time in your life to read the Bible? It's a trick question because if you say no, you're a liar. And I know it, and you do too, as lovingly as I can say that. 
Maybe the better question is, do you make time to read the Bible? Do you make time to hear God's word? Do you make time to figure out ways to apply that to your life? January 20th, 2021, LifeWay Research put out this statistic out there, and they surveyed 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80, and they asked them if they would read the Bible for one week. In the first three days, not a lot of things happened, but on the fourth day, some pretty amazing things happened, and these stats are off the chart. 30% of the people said that their, their feelings of loneliness dropped by 30%. After four days of reading the Bible, Anger issues dropped 32%. Some of y'all are thinking right now, Pastor, you only read for three days, didn't you, this week? Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. After four days of reading the Bible, not nonstop, not just I can't do anything else, but spending time with God, reading his scripture. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. After four days of reading the Bible, anybody ever detox off anything before? Anybody take your kids on vacation and take their phones away for a couple of days? First couple of days are chaos. We went to family camp years ago, and I'm a big lock and security kind of guy. I, I think doors that have knobs should have locks on them. That's just me. And we went to this family camp where we stayed there, and there were no locks on any of the doors in any of the cabins, and it made me absolutely crazy. Crazy. And my wife says, we're at family camp with a bunch of people from our church. What are you worried about? I'm like, I know those people. What do you think I'm worried about? I've never seen a group of people be able to lie with a straighter face than people in church. Doors should have locks. That's why they're made. Even Thomas was on the other side of a locked door. Jesus appeared on the other side. It's amazing what happens after four days of reading the scripture. Feeling of spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. These last two were just unbelievable. Sharing your faith jumps 200% after reading your Bible for four days. Discipling others jumps 230%. Now the last two I really want to talk about for a minute because this is interesting to me. How is it that sharing your faith jumps 200% after reading your Bible for four days. It's really, really easy. You get new material to share with others because you're constantly putting it in so there's something that can come out. You know the saying, garbage in, garbage out? What about truth in, truth out? You know, when you don't have room for all the other stuff or you push the other things aside or maybe you just reprioritize in such a way to say that, you know what, I can still do this and this and this and this, but instead of taking away, I'm just going to add God's word to my life and I'm going to add it like it were breakfast. I'm going to add it like it was the most important meal of the day. I'm going to add it like if I don't do this, I realize that I actually run the risk in falling back into any of these things if they're issues for me and that, that God has given me the ability to put this in my heart to protect me from those things, but also to build me up and to build others up. I'm just not really sure how to evangelize. Know the word. You can evangelize. It, it, I mean, been doing this a long time. Pretty simple. I'm not an astrophysicist. Never claimed to be. No one's asking me to check and see if the space shuttle is going to launch right or not. But I have proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ and his love for me 
and the salvation that I have for him. And in his commands were for me to learn all of these things and to share them with other people. And so I'm not outside of my realm when I'm expected to evangelize. Because I've been made a new creature in Christ. A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so I can't keep all those old habits that actually kept me away from a relationship with him. That bred many of these things in my life that kept me away from him. God is calling in so many ways and saying, I'm giving you the answers so that you can know me, so that you can have some direction in your life, and so that others can come to have the same relationship with me that you have. Maybe even better. Wouldn't that be awesome? For the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this sharing thing, which I know for some of you, not a big deal. For others, it's the weirdest thing you ever saw. It's not how we did it in my church. I get it. Okay, don't care, but I get it. But I just think that in the church where we practice what we preach, that we ought to be good at this stuff out here. So that when we go out there and we encounter one of the 300,000 people who are probably one of our neighbors who are far from God or don't know God at all or just angry with him because they're, they, they've not been exposed to his word in any way and these things are just build their life. Instead of giving them some flippant, empty, worldly wisdom, let's give them the truth. June is the middle of the summer and people are out and about and COVID masks are lifted off and people are starting to engage and interact with one another again. How did you make it through COVID? Oh man, the internet, it was awesome. You know what? I found a lot of time to read God's word. I found a lot of time to get reconnected with my creator. I found a lot of time to reprioritize some things in my life. I look at my job a little differently. I look at my finances a little differently. I look at my relationship with my spouse a little differently, with my kids a little differently. I look at, at, at all kinds of things a little bit differently. But you know, one of the things that I wish I'd have done, and I, this is fair, I wish I'd have spent a little bit more time in God's Word. I wish I'd have read the Bible a little bit more. Friends, as a pastor, one of the most challenging things for me and many of my peers, we've talked about this, we lament over this, we cry, we, we hug each other and say it's going to be okay. Maybe God will give us a second chance because that's who he is. But one of the most challenging things of the last 18 months is, is looking at our congregations and saying, man, I love those people. And God, my heart is that they would love you as much as I know you love them. But as the shepherd, I have not done a good job of teaching them how to feed themselves when the shepherd's not around. You know, we talk a lot about the one sheep that got away from the rest of the herd. He didn't forget how to eat. He might have had difficulties finding water. He won't drink at a fast-moving stream. He may have had to have one eye looking out for wolves around him, but he didn't forget how to do some of those things because that's his nature. But our nature, our sinful nature, is not just to drift towards the things of God when things get hard. That's a discipline that we have to accept the change that God does in our lives, and we learn about that change by his word. And friends, as your pastor, I love you but I don't know that, that you're well-discipled. And I own a portion of that. But I'm going to tell you something. As a Christ follower, as a church, the most basic requirement for any healthy church or believer is an unyielding commitment to hear, listen, study, and obey the Word of God. It doesn't matter if we're here together every Sunday morning or not. The average church attendance is only twice a month right now, so that stats out the window. What it matters is, is that you see this as God's truth and God wanting to give direction in your life. And you place the truth of this word higher in your life than anything 
that a pastor or a podcast or anything else ever has to say. What do you expect to hear on Sunday morning? I fear so many people want to hear, you know, yeah, I know you're a sinner. It's okay. God forgives you. I'm glad he's more gracious than I am. But, I mean, man, how do you know he forgives you if you've never checked it out on your own? From some guy. He said so once. Have you had other conversations with him? One of his favorite movies is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. You're going to take all of life's advice from him? What about the things that matter most? What about the stuff he doesn't know? So this morning, I'm going to invite you. The microphone's open. I know we're a little late, but I'm going to let it run for a couple of minutes. I'm going to invite you. Open up God's Word. There's a couple of passages of Scripture up there, and one of them mostly is Psalm 119. And what you might want to know about Psalm 119, it's basically the Hebrew alphabet. Every little section that's broken down is a different letter. And Psalm 119, being the longest and right in the middle of your Bible, was designed to teach children the ways of God, His goodness, His glory, His love, when you're hurting, when you're afraid. And it's all these different things that follow through there because they knew that we, they weren't going to have this to carry around with them all the time. So they would hide God's word in their hearts so they would not sin against him. And so this morning, I'm going to just give a couple of minutes and open up the microphone. Anybody who wants to come and just read God's word, maybe it's a scripture that speaks to your heart. Maybe it's one that just says, man, when everything else didn't pan out in my life, God was there for me, and he always is. Maybe it's just one of these, and you just need to hear it, or somebody needs to say it, but we need to get into God's word, more so than just this one few moments. And I challenge you to read for four days this week, maybe even seven. Microphone is open if anyone can come and read. instilled it into my life. I owe everything to her. She's with the Lord now. I pray she's watching now and seeing what the Lord has done in my life because of her and her love for the Lord. And that's my desire too, that all of you would understand that God's word is powerful. 
and he's there to meet every need you have if you just go to him in his word and listen he's faithful and he will speak to you through his word First Thessalonians 4. Um, for those that have titles in their Bible, this is uh, titled the call to sanctification and then the comfort of Christ coming. It's the call to um, how we should live daily. It says, finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus, just as you, receive, just as you have received from us, how you must walk and please God as you are doing, do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, so that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice. trumpet of God and the dead in Christ <clears throat> will rise first then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we will always be with the Lord therefore encourage one another with these words
things that happened to Israel was that God took them out. They, he destroyed the nations because of their sin and because of them falling away from the Lord. But after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, he restored the nation of Israel by returning them to both build the wall and build the temple. And in Nehemiah, at the time that they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, the people gathered. And this is what it says in chapter 8. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which is their Bible, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the years of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. May we pray this for our nation, that we would become attentive to God's word, because that's how he's going to restore our nation, not politics, not might. Surely got my sermon notes. Way to go. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Romans chapter 15 is a place that I have been reminded of for a while now, and I'll close with this this morning. It's not on the board, but I invite you just to listen. Paul, again, is writing to the Romans church, and he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. I love what verse 4 says there. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Truth of the matter is, friends, there is something encouraging, dictating, influencing you each and every day. And in a 24-7 news cycle, you got plenty of influencers. And these words, the words of old, were left for us so that we might have endurance and hope. Let's pray together. Father, your word is true. Your word is sweeter than honey. 
Father, your words are always right and appropriate. God, we also know that through your word, we are told who we are, who you are, and how you want to interact with us. And so, Father, this morning, we thank you for the truth of your word and for its enduring power. We thank you that you loved us enough to leave it for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can turn to your word and know you and to find direction for our lives. And so, God, I pray over this church this morning for everyone here that they would fall in love with your word, that they would hunger and thirst for it each and every day, that when boredom or challenge or struggle, Lord, even the happy times, we might turn to your word and be further encouraged by its truth, by its meaning for our lives. God, teach us to know you better through your word. Teach us to understand your ways through your word. Teach us to love others as your word teaches and instructs us to do so. Father, teach us to hold your word in higher regard than what we do. And let it change our lives. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus.